chapters eleven and twelve of a surgeon in arms by robert james mannion this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven caring for the wounded the method of caring for the wounded at the front depends a great deal upon whether a battalion is holding a set of trenches on a standing front or advancing either in a big push or in a raid the medical officer to a fighting battalion is the member of the army medical corps who is closer to the firing line than any of the other officers of that corps in the whole theatre of war he is served by the nearest field ambulance whose stretcher bearers not only evacuate the wounded from his r a p regimental aid post but also keep him supplied with medicines dressing splints and other medical and surgical necessities his food is sent up with that of the remainder of his battalion from his own battalion transport the field ambulance evacuates the severe cases to the nearest ccs casualty clearing station which is the closest hospital to the lines it is at the ccs that the necessary operations are performed here the real surgical work of the medical corps begins for up to that station it is much a matter of first aid from the casualty clearing station cases that look as if they will require protracted attention are transferred to ambulance trains which convey the cases fifty sixty or more miles to the base hospitals at the rear perhaps about boulogne havre and other towns reasonably well out of danger and from these hospitals the wounded or sick may be transferred again this time to hospital ships which cross the channel to one of our channel ports at these points they are once more put aboard ambulance trains and distributed to hospitals in london manchester canterbury edinburgh or any of the other large hospital centres suppose that a battalion is holding a part of the entrenched front roughly one thousand yards square the medical officer always travels with his battalion in an area such as this his r a p would be in a dugout somewhere in the vicinity of the one which is used as headquarters for the battalion a medical officer's position is toward the rear of his battalion whether the men are on the march in an advance or holding the lines for the reason that the wounded and sick are naturally sent toward the rear very commonly the r a p is about halfway from the rear support trench to the firing line the dugout of the m o is generally of the superficial variety it has a roof made up of two or three layers of bags of sand piled on top of a layer of boards just sufficient to give one a feeling of security in a most insecure position a straight hit from a shell on the roof of this type of dugout means that a new medical officer will be required for that battalion at once i have a vivid recollection of my first experience in such a dugout long before i had become accustomed to living in them by the week it was in a fairly active front near bully grenet i had been sent from a field ambulance to relieve the regular m o while he took a well-earned leave his palatial residence was only about two hundred yards from the front line its ceiling was less than six feet from the floor for my head hit it whenever i stood up and the rain which poured for days trickled down our necks as it filtered through the roof in many places the shells kept dropping most annoyingly that first day hitting everywhere except exactly on the centre of the roof and i knew it was only a matter of minutes till one landed there 
then to add to my uneasiness the sergeant lit a fire with wet wood which made a black smoke that poured from the bit of tin which was used for a pipe in the roof this was the finishing touch for i felt certain that every gunner on the front was using that smoke for a target turning to the sergeant i asked with as cool a manner as i could command how close do those shells have to come before you would consider it advisable to move out to move out oh coming through the roof i guess he answered with a blank stare i did not dare to ask any more questions but i thought to myself what a nice healthy time to move it took some time for me to become accustomed to that billet but out there one learns to become accustomed to anything in front of the medical officer are the men who hold the line there are four platoons to a company four companies to a battalion and with each platoon is one stretcher bearer making sixteen bearers to each battalion these stretcher bearers are trained in first aid dressings setting fractures and so forth by the m o of their regiment when they are out at rest billets behind the lines in the lines they accompany their platoons and companies and when the men go over the top in raids and advances the stretcher bearers go with them stopping to dress and care for the wounded as they cross the battle area no finer set of men serve out there than the stretcher bearers whether they serve with a battalion an ambulance or any other unit their work is without the stimulation or excitement the fighting men get but has the same dangers and hardships they go over the top as do the others and it is their duty to carry wounded with all haste through heavily bombarded areas the fact that out of thirty-two stretcher bearers used by me in three days thirteen were hit well illustrates the dangers that these boys cheerfully go through a good story is told of one of them a chap who in civil life had been a tough in the slums of one of our large cities and who had seen the inside of a jail more than once but who as a stretcher-bearer faced coolly even gaily any extraordinary danger to get his wounded to the rear he was in charge of a squad for number blank canadian field ambulance one day he and his men were taking a stretcher case over a ridge which was under constant and heavy shell-fire tiring he commanded his squad to stop and rest they obeyed but demurred saying that it was too dangerous a place to rest nah he said lighting a cigarette after handing one to the wounded man there ain't no danger sit down and take it easy but look here now tom the others argued you may be the first to have one of those bally shells blow you into kingdom come not by one damn sight he slowly replied i've got a hunch that i'm going to slip me arm round lizzie once again before they get me and he lay on the ground and thoughtfully puffed at his cigarette so the others joined him for their bravery was unquestioned and with the philosophy so common out there one said well i guess we can stand it if you can tom had puffed at his fag a few moments with the shells dropping dangerously near when without changing his position he asked did your mugs ever hear the story o the two specials what met at london the other day nah well i'll tell yous two special constables met and one of em had no hat coat all torn to rags boat eyes black and some air gone hello brown says to utter what a hell's wrong which is and the first answers you know dat pretty little mrs smith what lives behind the lion and dragon whose husband's gone on de front well he ain't gone even the wounded man joined the laugh 
they all finished their smoke without even glancing in the direction of the shells bursting nearby when the stretcher was picked up and carried safely to the rear his officers all say that they would as quickly trust tom in a ticklish job as any other man in the world but he is just an example of the thousands of loyal life-risking stretcher-bearers some like tom rough uneducated uncouth many others with the culture acquired in college halls and drawing-rooms who are daily and nightly giving of their blood and their service to the men in the lines these bearers wear a red cross on the arm are non-combatant troops and carry no rifles each two of them carry a stretcher and all of them carry a little haversack slung over the shoulder and filled with large and small surgical dressings bandages scissors splints and perhaps a bottle of iodine being non-combatant troops they are supposed to be allowed to carry out their work in comparative safety but they really run the same risks as the combatants this is to be expected in severe actions for a machine-gunner or artilleryman cannot even try to avoid the stretcher-bearers when they are mixed up as they always are with the fighting troops but at any rate the germans get the reputation of caring as little for red crosses or white flags as they do for scraps of paper one afternoon i stood in a trench one-quarter mile from villeval which was held by our troops and in the ruins of which there was an advanced dressing station of a field ambulance for some reason two ambulances came over the crest of vimy ridge in broad daylight in plain view of the germans and ran rapidly down into Vetterval they arrived without mishap but one half hour later i saw them start back over the ridge a few minutes apart the first one had got halfway up the steep side of the ridge when a heavy german shell hit thirty feet behind it and then shell after shell dropped behind it all the way up the steep slope fortunately the gunner's aim was short for the car disappeared from view over the crest then the second car made the trip the german shells falling behind it just as they had with the first one they both got out in safety but no thanks were due to the huns who had done their best to get them with heavy shells that was one instance in which i saw the german shell two ambulances which could not have been mistaken for any other type of vehicle suppose a soldier is hit by a piece of shell or sniper's bullet while he is in a trench which his battalion is holding he is first attended by the stretcher-bearer nearest to him at the time who should use the man's own aseptic dressing which each soldier is compelled to carry in the lining of his coat or tunic the injured man is then taken to the dugout of the m o if necessary on a stretcher where the m o rearranges the dressing gives a dose of morphine if pain is severe and after seeing that all hemorrhage is stopped and the man is comfortable he hands the case over to the field ambulance stretcher bearers who always serve him and live in an adjoining dugout this squad carries the case back through the trenches if there is no hurry but overland if haste is important to the advanced dressing station of the field ambulance if this should be a particularly hard trip it may be done in relays for there relay post dugouts are established with other bearer squads the ads is usually situated a mile or so in the rear of the trenches preferably in a large cellar but at any rate in a fairly well-sheltered area where cots are ready to receive fifty or more patients at the ads one or two of the medical officers of the field ambulance are stationed with a large staff of men 
the patient is here made comfortable given coffee or cocoa name number and battalion recorded and finally he is inoculated with anti-tetanic serum this has practically wiped out tetanus or lockjaw which was very prevalent at the beginning of the war he is kept here till a convenient time which may be after dark when he and any others who may have come in are put into ambulances and taken to the mds main dressing station of the field ambulance another two or three miles behind the mds may be in some old chateau or in a group of huts or if the weather is mild in tents here a light case or slightly wounded man may be kept for a few days and then sent back to the line or to a rest station to recover his stamina and quiet his nerves but if the case should be a serious one such as a shattered leg or arm or a large flesh wound that will take a considerable time to heal he is again transferred by ambulance to the ccs casualty clearing station another two to four miles back the ccs usually in huts or tents is the first real hospital behind the firing zone it may have accommodation for a couple of hundred patients is supplied with x-ray equipment a well-arranged operating room with expert surgical assistance and is the nearest place to the line that trained nurses are sent here for the first time since he left the line the patient gets all those little motherly attentions that only a woman can give the injured man may be kept here days weeks or even months if he happens to be a case that would be endangered by moving all immediately necessary operations are at once performed and often a seriously wounded man from the firing line may be lying anesthetized on the operating table of a ccs being operated upon by expert surgeons within two or three hours of receiving his injury practically as good attention as this type of injury would receive in civil life this is particularly the case where a man has been wounded in the abdomen from which wound he may quickly develop peritonitis and reach the valley of the shadow of death in a few hours if prompt attention is not given it is also done in cases of head or lung injuries or in any wound causing uncontrollable hemorrhage in any of these emergencies after the m o in the line has given all immediately necessary attention the patient is ticketed serious by him and he is rushed with all speed to the a d s perhaps at great personal risk to the stretcher-bearers here he is quickly transferred to an ambulance which may have to rush him over heavily shelled roads missing the main dressing station altogether and taking him directly to the ccs for his life-saving operation after varying periods in the ccs the patients are sent by ambulance trains which run almost to their doors to base hospitals at the rear from here they are retransferred to hospital centers in england and scotland so much for the methods used in caring for the wounded in the lines during stationary periods the same principles and methods are employed during big advances but of course on a larger and more thorough scale all the arrangements are made during the weeks preceding a push extra stretcher bearers are trained the field ambulances increase their staffs particularly just behind the firing lines in order that the field may be cleared of wounded at the first lull in the fighting 
the whole intricate system is so complete and so well arranged that hundreds of cases may be rushed through in a few hours some of them being comfortably in bed in english hospitals the evening of the day on which they received their blighty it must be remembered that in actions of a severe nature such as great advances the first object of the advancing troops is to obtain their objective and to hold it therefore care of the wounded may not be possible till the action is over but during these hours the wounded are by no means without attention it is here that the battalion stretcher-bearers do their finest and most self-sacrificing work they go over the top with the fighting troops and as the men are hit it is their duty to give them first aid while the fight still goes on with machine-gun bullets whistling by their ears and shells bursting all around them their duty it is and nobly they perform it to dress the wounded stop bleeding if possible and temporarily set fractures then they place the wounded men in the most protected side of a shell hole or in any other sheltered spot and pass on to the next needy one after placing any bit of available rag on a stick or old bayonet to attract the attention of the field clearing parties who come over that area in the meantime the wounded who can walk walking cases make their way to the point at which the m o is caring for the injured after getting the required attention they walk on back to the a d s of the field ambulance at the first lull in the fighting it is the duty of the medical officer to see to the clearing of the field of those wounded who cannot walk any men going to the rear for supplies and any german prisoners are commandeered by the m o as stretcher parties in big actions his own trained stretcher-bearers are employed only as dressers in the battle of vimy ridge which began at five thirty a m it was twelve hours later ere all the wounded on our front were evacuated to the field ambulances that was quick work when one considers that some battalions including my own had thirty-five per cent of their men hit one hundred german prisoners were sent up under escort to act as stretcher-bearers and gradually the field was cleared the only difference between the handling of the wounded during actions and during stationary warfare is the fact that in the former more unavoidable congestion takes place though this is prevented as far as possible in the forward areas by rushing the cases to the rear or to england in big actions where many wounded are expected this is always done after hospital treatment in england or scotland the men are sent to convalescent homes in ramsgate Hearn Bay, Whitstable, Sturry, Brighton, or any of the hundred and one other points that are suitable in the British Isles. Later, these men are sent before medical boards, which decide as to their disposal thereafter. They may be sent directly back to duty, to prolonged rest, to have some weeks PT, physical training, which is not popular with the men, but is often needed, or they may be marked PB, permanent base duty, which means that they are not fit for general service, but are able to perform some duties at the base or at home. Lastly, they may be discharged as permanently unfit for further service, the amount of their pensions being decided by the pension board. Until the wounded man reaches the CCS, his wounds are dressed in very rough surroundings, not the aseptic dressing rooms of peacetimes. Dugouts, cellars, or open trenches are employed for dressing stations, 
after the battle of vimy ridge my boys and i dressed our men for four days in an open muddy trench with the shells dropping about all the time dugouts are simply holes in the ground and may be most primitive dressing rooms everyone knows how aseptic the ordinary cellar could be made even with the greatest care on the part of an m o s assistance but our dressings are folded and wrapped in such a manner that they can be applied even though the dresser's hands are covered with mud without the aseptic part of the dressing which is applied to the wound being in any way soiled i have given one hundred and fifty inoculations hypodermically for the prevention of typhoid in a tent in which the men and myself stood ankle-deep in mud not one case of infection of the point at which the needle was inserted occurred this illustrates the efficiency one reaches from being accustomed to working in filthy surroundings your stretcher-bearers and dressers become as skilled in this art as yourself so that the men really get good attention in spite of the many difficulties in the way of course at the ccs which is five to ten miles from the trenches the surroundings are as good as they are in the average city hospital and the base hospitals are often elaborate in their equipment though they may be situated in large tents or newly constructed wooden huts with stoves to lessen the raw cold of the french winter weather the base hospitals in england are the highly scientific city hospitals simply put under military control End of chapter eleven chapter twelve cheerfulness something that is noticed by all who have served at the front is the drollery of the men in dangerous or uncomfortable surroundings sometimes it is good-natured sometimes ill-tempered and critical but it is ever present one cannot but believe that the wag of the company is better than a tonic to the men in fact is almost as good a pick-me-up as the rum ration who has not felt the benefit of a good laugh who has not seen a well-developed sense of humor save a difficult situation or at least alleviate it with tommy the humor crops out in the most unexpected situations under circumstances in which the ordinary man would turn ghastly pale tommy cracks a joke crossing an open space toward a railway embankment i was fifty yards or so from a culvert through which i had intended passing when a soldier reached it he was carrying a load on his back and was sucking on a pipe his head bowed in thought a whiz-bang shrieked by me and struck just at the entrance to the culvert missing him only by inches fortunately it banged into the earth four or five feet beyond his position at the moment so that the fragments spread from him not towards him he had escaped death by a hairbreadth he stopped in his path took his pipe from his mouth raised his head and looked with a surprised air at the hole in the ground made by the bursting shell his only comment was uttered in a slow voice well i'll be jiggered and putting his pipe back into his mouth he coolly resumed his walk and his meditation without altering his course by one inch thus do men come to accept narrow escapes from death as a matter of course where such escapes are as common as is plum jam in the rations the men are plodding along in thick tenacious mud carrying sixty-pound trench mortars each foot with its accumulated mud weighing at least twenty pounds and feeling as if it weighed a ton they are sweating and blowing and tired 
they halt for a rest and lean up against the wet muddy wall of the trench carelessly chucking the heavy mortars into the mud then the wag begins by cursing the bally war consigning the officers to perdition condemning the food as unfit for villains and wishing the kaiser was an l and the blighters expect us to stand and face the enemy and you bet your life we'll do it too cause we couldn't run if we want to we're stuck in the mud a smile passes along the tired faces their rest is over and more or less rejuvenated they take up their burdens and pass on coming out of the front lines one day when we were relieved by another battalion my corporal and i were going along a support trench when we came up with some officers of our battalion who were leaning against the parapet waiting for the germans to let up shelling the trench twenty-five yards in advance of us we joined the other officers and were soon joined by about sixty men who were trying to get out the same way the germans were persistent so we all finally turned back to go out by another trench the shells followed us along the trench for which reason none of us slackened our pace as we hurried along a rich scotch voice said loudly enough for all to hear by god these hun shells are better than the pipes to make us march passing along a muddy support trench returning from a tour of inspection we came upon a fatigue or working party of soldiers digging an ammunition dump they were working on a ridge and as it was a bright day they could be seen much of the time by the german snipers and might at any moment get some shells or bullets thrown into their midst it was hard dirty and dangerous work but bantering voices reached us what did you do in the great war papa asked one a dog alls my son replies another but that's not as bad as avin alls dug in ye says a third you're bally right it's not says the fourth and the work proceeds humor of course is not limited to the ordinary ranks ors as they are called officially our battalion was putting on a big raid a show in the end it was carried out very successfully but owing to the fact that it was a daylight raid and that a smoke barrage was to be employed the wind had to be taken into account and the raid was put off from time to time code words had to be arranged to be telephoned by brigade to the battalion codes are employed because of the danger of the germans picking up the messages by a special apparatus for that purpose an english officer present at the meeting to discuss plans suggested the following code which was employed if the raid was to be indefinitely postponed the word asquith was to be used meaning wait and see the word halbane was employed with the signification put off until tomorrow and when it was finally decided to be put on lloyd george was the code word which meant to be carried out at once anyone familiar with british politics during the war will agree that it was rather a neat code and it is said a french canadian commanding officer in whose battalion a murder had been committed had inserted in his orders of the day the following bit of unconscious humour it is to be regretted that a murder has been committed in this battalion this is the second murder in our canadian forces it is to be distinctly understood that this pernicious habit must cease forthwith many amusing stories are told of the contents of letters censored at the front usually all the letters of a company or section are censored by the officers of the company or section 
one of the best stories was told me by an english officer a tommy of his section wrote to his beloved dear maggie i'd a bolly sight rather be in your arms than in this trench with a dead german i sat one evening smoking a cigar with a canadian colonel who was much incensed at the fact that he had served at gallipoli where he caught an infectious diarrhoea of which he nearly died while in the meantime his other officers who served no better than he were decorated and promoted manian he said to me in an angry voice i was promised that if i went to the mediterranean i would get a promotion and any decoration they could get for me and the only damn thing i got was dysentery and i wouldn't have got that if my superior officers had the giving of it a rather good story with a touch of dry humour provoked by a desire for justice is that of the lonesome soldier one of our tommies sent an advertisement to an english daily in which he hinted rather than said that he was a duty-loving briton honourably doing his bit and being without friends in the world he would welcome a correspondence with some english girl he implied that as the diet was rough a few comforts would not go amiss signing his advertisement h h a lonesome soldier he was rewarded by a mail large enough for horatio bottomley accompanied by so many parcels that our mail department had to add another man to its staff to handle his portion instead of imitating the generosity of these english girls and sharing his ill-gotten gains with his companions he chose the selfish part keeping most of the good things for himself giving away only what he had no possible use for and what was still worse he started a correspondence with each of the priceless young things who had offered him their goods and their friendship had this been a fair and square correspondence it might have had nothing to condemn it but though uneducated he was sly enough to suit his letters to their recipients to one he implied the possibility of a strong attachment to another he was more reserved speaking only of friendship while to a third he would send a warm date-making epistle hinting at cosy hotels all according to what he thought their letters to him showed him of their characters this went on for some time the lonesome soldier writing many letters daily all franked by a kindly government and all to be censored by a group of h q officers the friendships he had worked up were getting more friendly the intrigues deeper and the passions warmer when major e decided that in fairness to the young women and in justice to the wily tommy he would put an end to this planning and plotting so in censoring the letters major e saw that the warm passionate letter to my beloved maisie was by mistake of course put into the envelope of dear miss jones miss jones letter put into that of darling kiddo and the latter's into my own emmys and so on the result was a rapid cessation of the letters and parcels to the lonesome soldier and the straightening out of what otherwise might have been an interminable tangle to the really lonesome soldier and there are such all consideration is due but to such a one as this may justice arrive swiftly as it did to him potash is a north american indian he was chief of his tribe is very intelligent well educated and the best sharpshooter in his battalion 
his intelligence is proven by the fact that he has never indulged in alcoholic drink nor has he in any other manner allowed his close association with us whites of canada to deprave him in other words he is a living refutation of the remark that the only good indian is a dead indian if it were not for the copper tinge to his skin one would take him for what he is a well-informed educated north american he is very proud of the fact that sir wilfrid laurier when premier of canada presented to him and his bride at their wedding a silver tea-set being the only indian in his battalion he is treated with a good deal of consideration by all colonel blank stood chatting to him one day the centre of a group of officers you are an indian potash tell me why it is that alcohol has such a bad effect upon indians in general you know sir seriously replied potash that alcohol acts principally on the tissues of the brain and so the indians having more brains than the whites alcohol has a greater effect on them the colonel and potash joined in the general laugh often shells do not explode and tommy calls them duds but up to the declaration of war by the united states in april last these duds often got the nickname american shells too proud to fight in the lines one often finds evidence of a prejudice against officers of the staff nicknamed brass hats by the boys this prejudice being due to the fact that tommy looks upon staff jobs as being safety first positions and that the man in the line thinks rightly or wrongly that too many young fellows who should be doing their bit under fire remain at the rear through family pull or connection there is also the impression that many of the staff only get under fire when they absolutely have to of course this is a much exaggerated idea but that it exists is shown by the following humorous conversation overheard in the lines say bill did you hear that peace has been declared nah nothing to it hot air near such luck sure it has didn't you see those two brass hats going along the trenches just now the tommies call their helmets tin hats and on a certain occasion one soldier was heard to ask another if he thought a tin hat as safe as a brass hat of course in a war such as that of today, mistakes are inevitable at times occasionally battalions or companies are ordered to accomplish the impossible the charge of the light brigade has repeated itself more than once and the staff get the credit or discredit for these mistakes sometimes it is the orders which cause the wag of the company to speak of these officers with his fine contempt everyone has seen Bairn's father's picture of a subaltern under heavy fire in the front line and at the same time having to answer a telephone message as to how many cans of apple jam had been sent in the rations in the past week it seemed no doubt a ridiculous exaggeration but is no more ridiculous than an order which came through one day to test out a certain rat poison a sample of which accompanied the order the battalion receiving this command was at the time holding a very bad bit of line where the germans did much sniping and dropping over of pineapples rum jars whizbangs and so forth the battalion was to test this poison with particular reference to the following points one adequacy of eight tens per one thousand yards of trench two amount of bait consumed three number of sick or dead rats seen four post-mortem examination of dead rats five as to diminution of rat population staleness of rat holes might be taken as corroborative evidence of diminution 
then followed three foolscap pages of typewritten directions along this line foolscap in the foregoing is not intentionally sarcastic do you wonder that the men made jokes imagine if you can a battalion under very heavy fire night and day trying to carry out tests that might easily be carried out behind the lines as to the efficiency of a rat poison imagine a medical officer while not attending the wounded or sick doing post-mortem examinations of dead rats or estimating the staleness of rat holes with perhaps a german sniper trying to get a bead on him of course such an order as this written by some theorist in a comfortable room two or three hundred miles from the bursting shells would usually be stopped by the practical men of the staff when one has inadvertently filtered through as in this case can those in the lines be blamed for talking about fool killers as it is to be expected the order was ignored until the battalion some time later received a reminder they protested that this test was surrounded by too many difficulties and were told to try it on a small scale the gruff voice of the regimental sergeant major said that he supposed they would send up some small-scale rats to try it on as they were not forthcoming that is as far as the order got but though staff officers are disliked almost as much as medical officers tommy must bear with them even if it be with a poorly disguised sneer of disgust and tolerance for an army without a staff would be as incredible and undesirable as sick and wounded without attention no doubt in spite of tommy's humor and banter when the truth is told both of the above types perform their duties as ably as they can according to their lights while dining with the officers of c company one evening i heard two of that company's likable young subalterns arguing as to whether the rum ration so popular with most of the men out there on cold winter nights would after the war conduce to temperance in the nation the argument grew quite hot as it often did there and one of the debaters stuck his helmet on his head and strode to the entrance of the dugout where he turned and clinched the argument with a sneering remark begad smith you know less about more things than any other man i've ever met then made a victorious exit and speaking of the rum ration an old soldier once told me that being the oldest man in his platoon the serving out of the rum usually fell to his lot whereupon he always took from his haversack a little tin vessel which held just the right amount for each man thus showing his absolute fairness and impartiality but as he poured the liquor into the little cup he kept his thumb on the inside so that at the end of serving some thirty or forty of his comrades he had thirty or forty thumbs of the beverage left as his portion a form of humour no doubt better appreciated by himself than it would have been by the rest of his platoon had they known how absolutely impartial he always was to himself End of chapter twelve